Greetings and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman. I'm really excited about this particular episode because today I have my very first guest ever of the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm I'm really excited to bring him on. He's He's somebody that I talked about briefly in my last episode, and I wanted to bring him on to, to tell his story about the injury that he suffered and the issues with promotions from where he's from. And if you don't know where he's from, this person, this is a man who comes from the land down under where women glow and men plunder. Can't you hear? Can't you hear the thunder? You'd better run. You'd better take cover from Bozo78. He may be number 78 on Reddit, but he's number one in your hearts and in your programs. Bozo78, I'm very excited to have you on the program. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, dude. How you doing? Good. Greetings from sunny Florida. How you doing? It is monstrously hot here today, my friend. Is it really? Wow. Yeah, wow, it's... So it's 40 degrees Celsius today, which is about, I guess, 120 for you guys in Fahrenheit. Massively hot. Oh my goodness, I didn't realize Australia got that hot. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. Now, where do you live in Australia? Uh, I'm in Perth, in Western Australia. So, right across the other side. Right across the other side from Sydney, right? So that's yeah, yeah, on yeah. The West, that's on the West Coast, correct? It, it is, it is. Sydney's about... 5,000 kilometers from me, so quite a distance. It's about 3,500 miles, I think. 3,500 miles, that's right, that's right. So in case you're not aware, you are the first interview ever for the Judo Chop Suey podcast, so hopefully, hopefully this goes well. So, you know, I gave you an idea of things that I wanted to talk about. You yeah. Know, I, think, I think they're pretty fair questions. So... I think I'd like to get going with the interview and learn a little bit about you and really talk about this story that, that you know, I tell you, I really wanted to flip the table when I read it. It bothered me because it, it, it kind of represents everything that I've been talking about on the podcast, uh, on the past few podcasts that I really, really feel passionate about. Yep. And I've got to tell you, um, sometime in the week, I actually, uh, I, I sent that information off to my sensor and I said, hey, by the way, did you know about this? And when I saw him today, he said to me, look, I spoke to someone very senior in the judo hierarchy here in Australia and they confirmed this story that you've told me. And I was so angry when I found out that I thought of actually pulling our club out from the association. He, yeah. was, he, was, he was pretty mad about it. So it's something that's not well known. I don't okay. think people know. Um, I actually, talking about Reddit, I was uh, contacted anonymously by someone on Reddit who used to be pretty high up in the JFA hierarchy and said, look, you're not the first one to go through this. People have actually threatened or even maybe even taken them to court um, just over the fact that, you know, guys in their 30s and 40s, they will go through and do all the competitions and do everything. And then the association will turn around and say, well, sorry, that doesn't count. You didn't fight in the... 18 to 29 year category so tough luck so let's and and i want to get there eventually let's back up and i want a little i want to learn a little bit about you but but first thing first things first there's something i need to ask 
that I okay, know here the we listeners want to know, and I know everybody who may check this podcast out on Reddit needs to know. Leg grabs and judo. What's your take? I've got three opinions for you. So the first okay. opinion is, I think, oh, and I hate to say this, I think the IJF was right in that by removing leg grabs, they've made it look more dynamic and sped it up. Um, I remember actually competing at the Nationals in 2015 and then watching some of the other divisions fight. It was fantastic to watch and it was fantastic to participate in. So from the point of view of what they were going for, okay. From the point of view of a judoka, this is my second opinion. I was never really big into leg grabs. I mean, I, yep. I can do them. I taught them. I've seen them done. The problem with leg grabs in judo, and I'm talking about Moradagari now, the double leg. Sure. If you're fighting, fighting someone who knows what they're doing, they will shut that thing down super quick with grips. Yes. Um, I'm thinking of, of an incident. <laughs> I was fighting a Godan, and um, I, I kind of grabbed him behind the neck. I had a, an elbow collar tie, and he looked at me and went, oh, yeah, wrestler. And I went, yeah, a little bit. Okay, you're going to shift for my legs, aren't you? And I went, yep, shot for his legs. He stuffed me in the ground and then kneed me in the head. Yeah. And then he said, don't do that in judo because that's what happens. So I was never really a big fan of double legs for judo just because my impression is they never really work if you've got grips. Um, I know that we kind of went through, uh, GE and myself on Reddit, we went through and had a look at all the scoring throws for the past, I think it was 50 or 60 years in high-level competition. Marotta Gari wasn't even within the top 30. So it's, yep. it's not a common throw for judo. And that, you know, you, we share the same exact opinion on that. It was never a part of my game, so I wasn't too sad to see the double yep. leg go. But now, if we're talking about the full scope of pickups and leg grabs, I think it's criminal that we've lost ankle picks. I think it's criminal that yep. we've lost Tegaruma. Um, these techniques, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you watched the, um, where was it? Was it Baku where they did the, the judo, uh, the new rules, discuss, the yes. seminar discussion, right? Yes. And one of the Japanese coaches said very clearly, look, you've now set up a scenario where the guy can get an over the back I grip. Remember. I can't counter it. Okay. Normally before I could just pick them up and dump them with Tagaruma. I can't counter it. What happens now if you get me on the edge of the mat and you get me in that position, right? If I do nothing, you're going to throw me. Okay. If I go back, it's Shido for me. If I, yeah. if I try to attack you, it's again going to be Shido for me because I have to touch your leg. You've set up a position where we can't do anything. Now, again, I've watched a few high-level fights and again, looking, thinking about the Nationals in 2015, mm -hmm. people were attacking in such a way that I think it was against the spirit of Judo. They were just recklessly attacking. And I think if we still had that fear that, oh, if I'm really careless, the guy's going to pick me up and suplex me with Tegaruma, that would lead to more balanced judo. So look, I'm for Tegaruma, I'm for ankle yeah. picks. I don't think Maradagari works particularly well, but all of those things should be taught for sure. So tell me about how you got started in judo and how long you've been doing it and what your current rank is. So tell me a little bit about yourself and your history in judo. Okay. Uh, I started martial arts when I was six, and I think if you can name a martial art, I've probably done it. <laughs> So yeah, boxing, okay. karate, everything. And then I did it pretty much from when I was young till about my mid-teens. Um, and then eventually, after I finished high school, we moved to Perth so I could go to university. And there was a period of about two or three years where I didn't do anything. And I remember walking home um, from the shopping center once and I just saw a, 
a car suddenly pull in the middle of the road and this woman ran out screaming. And I'm like, well, what the hell is this? And it turned out that the guy in the car was harassing the girl. He was trying to attack her. And I really wanted to do something to defend her. Thankfully, she got away. There were other people around. But in that split second, I remember thinking, geez, I don't really know what to do if something like that happens again. Right. So I thought, well, I've been doing all these other martial arts. Let's pick that up again. So that was, that was the initial impetus to actually get into that. And around about that time, it was the late 90s, um, BJJ and UFC was really taking off here. But it was almost impossible to find. So I remember logging on into a little internet forum called Rec Martial Arts which I'm sure you're very familiar with. <laughs> I'm sure we cross paths on rec martial arts because I, I had different very usernames out there. Yeah, It's very likely. And there was a poster on there called Bill Mahoney or Gee Choke. Yeah, he was, he was always very adamant that um, BJJ was fantastic, but God, judo is really good as well. You should try judo. I went, okay. I've, I've seen them doing the uh, leg triangle on uh, lethal weapon. What the yeah, hell? Let me, go, let me go yeah. see this judo thing. It just so happened that um, there was a judo club within 10 minutes of where I lived, which was great because I was, you know, a young guy. I didn't have a car. I couldn't get there. I walked there. And the closest BJJ club at that time was probably an hour out of my way. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to, you know, bother anyone to go, please, can you drive me to the jiu-jitsu club? I want to do jiu-jitsu. Sure. I just went to this judo place. And that's kind of how it started, just proximity and the internet, really. Um, there, but for the fate of God, uh, by the will of God, I could have gone into jujitsu or God knows what else, but judo was close by. I started with judo and pretty much stuck with judo. So that's the origin of the story. I, I saw something going down. I wanted to figure out some way to defend myself or my family. I wanted to get into Brazilian jujitsu. Wasn't available. Judo was the next thing available, and that's it. Got into judo. Interesting. 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 So you find a club. Is this the club you've been at this entire time? And if it isn't, how many clubs have you been a part of? And how did you land in this current club that you're at? And tell me about your current club. Okay. So that club that I mentioned, that was the first club. Uh, that was out the back of a pesticide spraying factory, which is hilarious. It's hilarious little club, a hole in the wall. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even think there would be any possibility of doing anything there, but so I stayed at that club for about two years before it closed down. Um, the center actually got six. And then I was kind of without judo for a while. So I kind of ummed and ahed and did some Aikido and did some Japanese jiu-jitsu, did some BJJ, some freestyle wrestling. And then finally decided, God, I've got to find another judo club. None of this is really kind of, you know, hitting the right spot for me. So I went to the second judo club that I trained at, uh, which was kind of like a YMCA. So on any night, you may have three adults and, you know, 40 kids on the mat. Yeah, fairly, fairly typical kind of scenario for judo. Right. And I stayed there for about a year. I got to the point where I was helping kind of run some of the kids' stuff, but my judo wasn't really getting any better. Because mm -hmm. it was mostly, you know, I don't want to say it was babysitting for kids because it wasn't babysitting for kids, but there weren't enough adults to practice with. So I was kind of going, hmm well, maybe I'll go do some boxing or I don't know, I'll figure something out. And it, it was just a, a stroke of luck. There was an email that came through from the association saying, oh, there's this Japanese team coming to Perth. They're holding a seminar. And I said, you know, I, I'm just a green belt. Um, do you think I should go to this? And since they said, yeah, you should go and try it. And I went there. 
that would be the first time that I'd seen more than 10 adults on the mat. Right. So there would have been probably 40 or 50 adults on the mat. And if you've not had that, I know you've had that experience, but if you've not had that experience of being in a small club and then going to a big club, there's a Mm -hmm. lot of adults and just adults, you kind of go, ah, this is where I want to be. So, of course, they beat the ever-living crap out of me. (laughs) I was so sore. I was really deep, deep bone bruised sore because I get thrown so many times. You know, these guys are, this was a high school university judo team. So they were kind of the guys that go off and join places like um, Kukushikan and Tokyo University, you know, really tough judo places. Sure. And they beat me to a post. And then I remember coming back the week after that happened and walking through the front door and the sensei, my current sensei, he kind of went like this and said, well, I didn't think you'd be back. And I went, yeah, yeah, I'm back, I'm back, I'm back. Oh, all right, go get changed, let's go train. It's hilarious because they, they, they must have put something fierce of a beating on me. But, yeah, so basically three clubs. Um, the current club that I'm with, I've been with since 2006. So what's that? Uh, 11 years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, if we're talking about training internationally, oh, God, half a dozen different places, um, lots of places in Japan, places in Kuala Lumpur. Um, I even try, I tried to, to <laughs> I tried to train on my honeymoon while I was in New Zealand. And I really hope my wife doesn't see this podcast. Um, I did actually sneak out and train some jujitsu in uh, Queenstown on my honeymoon because wow. I was just, I was just getting uh, antsy. After three weeks, I just needed to do something. Sure. So, yeah. Well, three week honeymoon. Normally, normally for us, you as Americans, we only get a week. So that's, that's yeah, you great. guys are you, you guys are crazy. You're overworked. You don't get enough holidays. Yeah, it's mandatory. We, we are uh, we are the no vacation nation for sure. It's mandatory here in Australia to have four weeks paid annual leave, and then you can purchase leave on top of that. So I think the longest holiday that I've ever taken was three months. Wow, three months paid leave. Sorry. Three months paid. I, I can't even. If I want three months, I, I just. I just say I quit. You quit your job, that's it. Basically, basically, that's how it is, especially because I'm an IT professional. So, you know, that's my day job. And this podcasting thing is something I do on the side. So what is your current rank and how long have you been at that rank? Uh, okay, so currently I'm EQ, which is Brown Belt here in Australia. I've been at EQ for two years. Um, before that, I was at Blue Belt. So what's before EQ? NICQ, I guess. Um, and, oh, my God, I was at Blue Belt from 2006 to 2015, uh, and I earned that brown belt the hard way, i got to tell you. I, <laughs> I remember having a conversation with my coach a couple of years ago, my sensei a couple of years ago, saying, look, what the hell do I need to do to get a brown belt under you? And he said, well, you've got the knowledge. Now I just want to see that you can hold the rank. So it's always been a thing in my club. And maybe this is the same in all clubs where they want to make sure that you can hang at that belt level. Okay. So I, can't, I kind of went on a madcap like training spree. I, w- I would train 10, maybe 12 hours a week of judo and, ju- and Brazilian jiu-jitsu just to get to the point where you know, I could enter a competition and do really well. And finally, in 2015, I entered the nationals here, um, won bronze in my division. For the uh, 
God, what division was I in? I think it was M2 or M3. The old man's division. Sure. <laughs> I fought, I think I fought uh, eight guys. And the ones that I lost were because I didn't know the rules. So I actually, I actually uh, lost one of my matches um, by Hansakumaki because I kept stepping out of the matted area. <laughs> and it's huh. funny because I wear glasses, so I can't see where the mats are. And then I, I came off the mat, my sensei went, what are you doing, you idiot? Well, can't you see? And I'm like, I don't know what the rules are and I can't see. Just put the guy in front of me and I'll fight. But experience, you learn. So, yeah, so uh, brown belt for two years, uh, blue belt for 10. Why 10 years? That seems a little odd to me because I know in my experience, and granted, I've not traveled anywhere close to the amount of traveling that you have done, but in my experience... There are variations, but you typically have a standard. Do you feel you were held back unnecessarily? Because 10 years seems an awful long time to be one Q rank. I mean, it's it's one thing to be sure, and I get that, but I don't know. From NQ to EQ, I, I would think that a sensei could figure that out, uh, if figure out if you're progressing after a couple of years. It's just a Q rank, you know what I mean? I, I, I think there are a couple of reasons for it. The, one of the reasons... Uh, for it is my coach was a really high level judoka at one point so he has well, maybe he, he had or he still has I imagine um, a really high level for what he wants his belts to be yeah in our club we have seven national champions yeah seven national champions excluding the kids um, right. we've got a couple of Australian champions in our kids ranks as well so our guys are pretty tough I think we kind of sandbag more than a little but huh. He's got his own expectations of that. Um, the second thing was we were actually kind of on the outs with the main association for quite a while. Um, we just weren't a part of it. We kind of kept ourselves to ourselves. And just, okay. just recently, actually, we've rejoined the main association because it provides a pathway for the kids to go and experience, you know, judo at a high level. If the kids want to go and compete in the Australian nationals, you kind of have to be a part of the JFA. So I think in the end, once we joined the JFA, that whole grading thing started up again. Gotcha. Um, here gotcha. in Australia, here in Australia, it's a little bit tricky in that technically, technically your sensei can grade you up to brown belt, but it's considered it's it's a panel grading even up to brown belt. So what will happen is uh, you'll have two assessors, two teachers sitting. You'll be your sensei. And an invited instructor will sit, and then you've got to demonstrate all the techniques and all the cutter and everything else. So previously, we would get someone else um, to actually come in and act as that person that would sit as the second pair of eyes. And when we kind of stumbled with the with the JFA a little bit, that kind of went by the wayside. And I guess maybe my sensei got to the point of going, "Well, look, I want to do this legitimately, so we'll join the association and we'll bring everything back." But it's not unusual. Um, we have a few guys that we've been sitting at blue belt three, four, five, six years. Wow. And all wow. of a sudden, we're all brown belts now. So Sure. Now, what kind of setbacks have you had throughout the 15 years you've been involved in judo in terms of whether it's personal life, injuries, things along those lines? Have you had many setbacks? And I ask this because we're going to get to the 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 crux of the issue here but i'm just kind of curious just 
throughout those 15 years if, if you've dealt with other types of, of injuries or setbacks that have kept you out of jail yeah. for so extended period in of terms, time? In ter well, let's start with injuries first. So in terms of injuries, what have I had? I've had two blown ACLs, uh, three menisci, so <laughs> both on one leg and one on the other leg. Wow. Um, I don't even know how many broken fingers and toes. I've lost count. They don't even count as due to injuries here, I don't think. Uh, I've had uh, a concussion, and I've had what's called a restless spike, which is where you get dropped on your head and you kind of get shooting pains down your arm for a bit. Um, so pretty, I mean, it's, it's, it's not a huge amount, I don't think, for 15 years. But having said that, yeah, those injuries have kind of sucked a little bit. Um, the knee ones have been bad. Um, in right. terms of my first ACL injury, kept me off the mat for about 12 months. Wow. Um, okay. So that was, that was a long time. Uh, other kind of setbacks, um, the club closed. So my first club closed, which was a shame, um, because the actual instructor there was a long-term judoka. I think he'd probably done it for 50 or 60 years. And I remember him trying to teach me Nagano Kata as a white belt and me not appreciating what the hell was going on. So... Uh, so yeah, clubs closing, um, finding places to train. I mean, until until my present club opened up in two thousand and five, there was only one other big club here in Perth, and there was just I couldn't get to it. It was out of the way. So pretty much that's it. Injuries and actually finding a club have been the big things for me. Hmm. Now, now you have a more recent injury that has led to this this story that I just find fascinating and and aggravating all at the same time now what is the stat now from what i understood from your reddit post it you may have a third acl injury did i understand that correctly and, and if i did second. this would be your second okay yep. so where are you at with that now is it a confirmed acl injury what is your immediate goal with that yeah, so I had the MRI done about a week ago, oh, sorry, two weeks ago, and I've seen my orthopedic surgeon just last week. Mm -hmm. The status of the injury, let me, let me see. So there's a partially torn ACL, um, both of the meniscus are damaged. Uh, the cartilage lining the surfaces of the knee is torn or fissured. So it's like a grade two cartilage tear. Uh, I have a compacted fracture of the femur and what else was there? Oh, and um, the the bottom surface of the patella, the cartilage lining that has chipped off. So as far as injuries go, it's due to the same injury, impressive. or is that is that due to the same injury, or is was, that oh, just... yeah due to or due to the same injury? Yeah, or due to that one instance, um, My which God. was me, me coming in for a for an Uchigari and the training partner just vastly overreacting, and you know it happens. But yeah, just one injury. Unbelievable. Now, you said in your Reddit post that this injury essentially closes the door for you to Shodan. Can you elaborate on that? And and maybe you feel, and I, I know you were very upset when you wrote that post, and understandably so, but maybe you feel differently today, or maybe you've learned some things since then. But at the time when you felt, how did this close the door to Shodan for you? So it's interesting. Here in Australia, we have a point system. So once you get to brown belt, to, to advance to showdown and knee down and even higher up, you've got to accumulate so many points. And there's three major pathways for points. There's competition, there's service, and there's knowledge. Yeah? 
the competition pathway is by far the most rewarding in terms of points. So for example, I think it's something like uh, if you if you beat someone in a match that's your rank, you get, I think it's 10 or 15 points. Um, so you can imagine if you go to Shi'ai and you beat three guys that are your rank, that's, that's a third of the points you need. Yeah, you need 100 points to progress from brown belt to black belt. OK. Um, my, my kind of story, my sting in the tail to this is, because I'm in my 40s now, my understanding was that points were points. It makes sense. If I go to Shi'ai and I fight and I win, I've accumulated the points. And it turns out that after I made that Reddit post, a couple of friends tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, have you read this clause in the JFA documentation? And I went, what clause? Show me. And they showed me, and there's a, there's a little PS or a little NB that says, by the way, in order for you to accumulate points from Shi'ai, you must have competed in a division which is open to everyone. Right? And the way that that is interpreted is, if you are fighting in M1, M2, M3, M5, that is not open to everyone. That is only open to people between the ages of 30 and whatever. So it turns out that anything that you win at masters or seniors level doesn't count towards your next end rank, yeah? which is a problem because right. that's the yeah. major pathway of accumulating points for your next rank. And if you take that pathway away, then you have a problem with older judoka or adult judoka in actually accumulating those points because the other two pathways are very opaque in terms of how can you actually what does it mean to be of service to judo, mm -hmm. right? Oh, you've got to do this and this and this. But how do I do that? Well, you've got to sit on this committee with the NGB. You've got to do this. But it's difficult to get into. Yeah. So it's a little bit of a closed system in that if you can't get it by Shi'i, the other two methods are actually really quite tricky to obtain. It's kind of who you know and how much they like you. And the Shi'i pathway is closed if you don't fight in the 18 to 29-year category, right? which makes it difficult for someone of my age to actually accumulate the points because unless I fight in the 18 to 29, my points, it doesn't count. Yeah, it's just kind of gone, well, sorry, you didn't fight in the right division, it doesn't count. So that was really, I was, I was really ticked off about that, I've got to tell you. I told my coach about it or my sensei about it and he said, no, that's nonsense. I'm going to call up this person in, in the association. She said, he talked to her and I spoke to him today and she said, yeah, that's actually true. Um, you can't count those points. And he was really quite upset about that because quite a few, like I said before, quite a few of our guys have been traveling. We have one guy that's, where's he gone to? He's been to Bali uh, to get his points. He's been to the Eastern States, to Sydney, to Melbourne. He's been to Canberra. He fought in the World Masters Games. This is all at M3 level. He's won tons and tons of matches, zero points. Yep. Oh my God. We, we have another guy. We have another guy. Um, I think he's M1. I'm pretty sure he's M1. He is fifth in the world. Uh, just let that sink in. Fifth in the world at master's level, zero points. Right. So you can see the problem, right? If you're an older judoka, you are kind of shoehorned to fight into the 18 to 29 year old category. And Hand on my heart, I can put up a good fight, but if I have to fight a, a, a guy who's 19 years old, who doesn't work for a living, 
who's preparing to fight in the Commonwealth Games or the Olympic Games, it's not a fair fight. Let me fight it's, guys my age, you know, and let that count. But absolutely, I, I mean, I, I, I tell you, even just just hearing this again and, and hearing you actually confirm this, just it's it's totally unfair. And I don't look. I, I, I told you this is not this is not going to be a forum to to bash the JFA, but. Yeah, with everything you know, you say something, and then anything that after follows the butt is going to be bashing the JFA. No, I'm not. I'm I'm actually not looking to do that. But it's just completely unfair, and and I don't understand how it is that so many people, like like you said, people that you know, come traveling to get these points, and all of a sudden they're found out that the the rug has essentially been pulled out from underneath them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's got to be extremely discouraging and 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 maddening and and you're now if i understand correctly your own sensei did not know this is that correct 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 yeah we we i don't think anyone knows about it and i've got to tell you i had an anonymous um email from a redditor who i get the impression he was quite high up in the jfa and he mentioned to me that that people have actually tried to sue for this kind of a thing because it was you know, they've done all the work and then they rock up and say, here is my competition results from the past 10 competitions. Can I go for the grading? And they'll go, no, these are master's level points that don't count. Yeah. So it's it's a contentious issue that people just are not aware of. Now, are there other judo federations in Australia? Mm, uh, we have, I think, two active ones and maybe one or two that i don't know whether they're still around or not yeah so the main one is the jfa um we've got also the australian kodakan judo association uh there is the freestyle judo association but they're really small they're up in northern new south wales you have a freestyle because i thought that was just more of a an american thing uh, i didn't yeah, realize no, that, that um, was grown so much it, to be uh, an association on the other side of the world yeah, you, you, uh, you'd have to um, talk to a buddy of mine that's up in that neck of the woods. I'm not sure how they've done it, but my understanding was um, one of the guys up there was actually competing in Sambo, and he decided he wanted to bring Sambo to Australia. He couldn't get any kind of inroad with the JFA or anything like that, so he set up his own association, and basically they do Sambo-style judo under, under you know, the only thing they don't do leg locks, but... Everything else is in there, double eggs and single eggs and all that. Um, I don't know whether they're still around or not. I'd have to talk to them and get back to you on that. But, yeah, we've got two or three main associations here. And JFA is by far the biggest. Understood. Now, in my opinion, I believe judo clubs and, and a sensei in your position should be able to promote to Shodan without all the, the jumping through the hoops and the red tape. Now, can you mm. explain to me... The promotion, I know you touched on it a little bit and you said that there's a, a, a committee where you uh, where you perform your techniques and you do your kata. Is that typically how promotions go for Shodan and up? Yeah, so for Shodan, uh, the qualifying process is you've got to have accumulated your 100 points. Yeah, or actually it's 150 points if you do it one year after Brown Belt. If it's two years or more, then it's dropped down to 100. So let's say you've got your 100 points. Um, 
you are now nominated by your sensei to go in front of the national governing body grading panel. Yeah, and they hold a grading, I think it's once a year. So you'll have candidates come from different clubs, let's say maybe 10 candidates. And then you've kind of got, I, I, I think it's a full day grading. It may even be two days, I'm not sure, depending on how many candidates you've got, where you've got to demonstrate uh, all of the throws, all of the groundwork, so many counters, so many um, you know, arm bars, chokes, everything, counter counters, and I think, I think you've got to show like a sample teaching lesson, like you're teaching a beginner how to do a break pull or not. I can't remember, something like that. And then the second day or the period after that, you've got to show your Nagano Kata, the full, the full five sets. I, I think both as Tori and as Uke, but I'm not sure on that. So in order to get your Shodan, that's probably a good day or two. Um, for me, when I did my brown belt, it was very similar. Uh, the grading started at 10 o'clock and it finished at four in the afternoon. Uh, so every throw, every counter, every combination, every groundwork, armbar, choke, counters to groundbar, <laughs> it was a lot of stuff. Yeah, and at the end I had to show the first three sets of an Agar Carta. So it's pretty full on. Um, there's no one that can go through that process that doesn't know judo. It's not as if you can turn up, you, you can't, for example, let's say you're an Olympic level wrestler, you go and, and beat everyone up and then you turn up to the grading, you won't pass because you can't show the technique. So it's, it's involved. So what is your opinion on that process? Do you, do you think they do too much? Do you think it's not enough? Do you think it's just right? So what do you, what do you think of that promotion process? I'll tell, I'll tell you two things for that. So the first thing is everyone that I've spoken to here in, spoken to in Australia here has the impression that the, the hoops that our shodans have to jump through, by the time you jump through it, it's probably the equivalent of, you know, a nidan or a sandan in Japan, mm -hmm. right? It's really difficult to get your shodan and shodan should be the first rank. It shouldn't be something you get put through the ringer like that, yeah? Um, my personal opinion is this, my, my sensei has been doing judo for 55 years. He did judo at world level. He fought in the British Open, the British Close. He fought in the goddamn Kano Cup. If that guy doesn't know who a Shodan is, no one knows who a Shodan is. It, right. So my thinking is, I, I think you should get to the point where your sensei goes, okay, I'm going to grade you for Shodan. We're going to do a panel thing. I'm just going to invite one guest from the NGB. Boom, let's sit down and you do the grading. I think that would be the way to do it. I think it should be in-house. I don't think showdown should be such a big deal. Um, the problem with this is, I mean, this is now the flip side of this, right? Without having your showdown here, you are strongly discouraged from opening up a club, mm -hmm. which means you will have people that get to brown belt, drop out of judo, right? If those people had been allowed to go and get their black belt, they could open up a club and attract more people into judo, right? As it stands now, I teach uh, one session of judo at a Brazilian jiu-jitsu place just down the road from me. When my guys, when I thought my guys were ready to go for yellow belt, I had to approach my sensei and say, look, I think these guys are ready for yellow belt. Can they please come and grade under you? I'm not allowed to grade them, right? I've been doing judo for 15 years. I know what right. a yellow belt is. You know is. what a yellow belt I, is, exactly. I know, I know what an orange belt is. I know what a green belt is. I can't do it. I've got to get someone else to come in. So I, I think... In my opinion, 
you should be able to grade up to showdown within the club. Um, I know Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu does it, that you can yes. grade one rank below you. So if you're a Nidan, you can grade to Shodan. That would be okay. That would, that would encourage a lot of club senseis to actually grade up. My sensei, by the way, has been Shodan for 40 years. Right? Really? My sensei has been Shodan for 40 years. This is... It's criminal. That, that, I mean, this is not... Me, a, that's criminal. We, we were in Japan in, in last year. And we were standing in, in this giant training hall. And the coach that was running the training was a sixth dan. And my coach was over here. And that coach turned to my sensei and said, what rank are you? And my sensei went, and the other guy went, what are you talking about? You're 55 years old. How are you still a showdown? It just get, it's that difficult to progress in rank because there are so many loops, so many hoops to jump through. So Do you I'm with think you. Right. And, and do you think that there are people in the JFA and, and people are of influence that feel that it should be this way? Because I when I'm having this conversation with you and I'm sure when some of the when the listeners hear this interview, they, they may feel this probably I would venture to guess most of them would feel the way that I feel about promotions that I really do believe that a showdown should be promoted in house because that way with more showdown you are able to get more adults to a rank that they can open up their own club and start yeah everybody wants to talk about grassroots but they want to put up all of these barriers in place to prevent the growth of grassroots judo and and that's what i i, I mean i'm a showdown now and i've been a showdown for about six years and now I'm giving back locally, and, and I'm able to do that because I, I'm a showdown. You know, you know, parent brings in their kid, and you know they see another adult black belt on the mat. They they think, hey, you know, this is a good place to bring my kid. Or in if a, if an adult from jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu, or some other type of uh, grappling comes into the club, they're like, okay, this club's got a relatively middle aged athletic uh, looking showed on i i can learn from this guy now do you think that there are people in australia that feel that this is a good way to go about promoting judo and 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 maintaining the integrity of ranks i think so i think it's extremely political i, I don't look i don't want to throw anyone under the bus understood like some of understood. the some of the stories that i've heard yeah there's some it's difficult in australia because we had that between the Australian Kodokan Judo and the Judo Federation of Australia. That fight, that, that fight has been going on for 60 odd years now. Um, and the two just don't see eye to eye. Yeah, they just don't see eye to eye. So I think there are some artificial hurdles that have been put in place. Look, I don't think it's, a, it, it's not a good way that it's done. I do think there's a lot of politics to it. Um, I don't think change happens very quickly and i've got to be honest with you judo in australia is if not die if not dead mm. certainly dying out yeah you, okay because, so you, you feel that way you feel that judo yeah. in australia is, is going by the wayside w would you agree that maybe it's going by the wayside to brazilian jiu-jitsu oh yeah i'll tell you what we have here in my state we've got eight judo clubs eight judo clubs my club is the largest. We've got 107 members. Of that, mm, probably 60 are kids and the rest are adults. Okay. 
in my town, in my town, not in my state, in my town, we've got at least 40 Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu clubs. You walk into a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu wow. place, you will have anywhere between eight to 30 people on the mat. Now you times that by 40, and that's my town. You look at the other towns in the state, there's probably close to 50 Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu clubs just in this state, yeah? So I would say, yes, a lot of people that would have traditionally tried their hand at judo have gone to BJJ simply because they've got better marketing and they've got better pathways for adults to actually get involved. Yeah. And, and so, that is that I feel very strongly about that because I, I, I talked about this in, I believe it was episode eight uh, of, of my podcast, the differences of why Brazilian jiu-jitsu is growing and why judo is dying. I, Brazilian jiu-jitsu welcomes the adult beginner. And and yeah. I've seen it firsthand. The the club that I was uh, a part of, yeah, you know, I've been a part of several. I I would say over the past because I started in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I'm actually one of the rare guys that started Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and then found Judo. And yeah. and I was like, Judo is it for me. This is this is exactly what I want to do. Um, so, but in the Jiu Jitsu clubs that I've been a part of there was a tremendous amount of adults and when it comes to promotions it, it, there's just simply not the kind of red tape that you find in in many judo clubs now granted the q ranks don't have nearly as much red tape but in jiu-jitsu the purple belt and brown belt those are those are pretty high ranks and and you don't have to go through a federation to get promoted to to those belts and even even black belts usually i i think they do seminars every once in a while where a brown belt uh might get recognized by by somebody who is who is the head of the affiliation you know that could be like somebody like henzo gracie you know it's so, interesting um from the point of view uh so the jiu-jitsu club down here where i teach judo at um they're an affiliate of john will uh, i don't know if you know who john will is but he was one of the first Westerners to be rated to black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So he's one of the original dirty dozen as they call them. Gotcha. The way the way they their gradings work is the club sensei will grade students up, you know, he'll give first uh, first tip, second tip, third tip, fourth tip, fourth tip, and then when John Will comes through a seminar once or twice a year, he quickly assesses that student and goes, "Yeah, you have my permission to grade that student up." There's mm -hmm. no panel, there's no board. You just get put forward, he looks at you doing newazo, doing sparring, and he goes, yeah, I agree with you, that's a blue belt, or that's a purple belt, yeah? So I'm with you. I mean, if, if, you're, a, if you're a shodan in your club, you should be able to grade up to brown belt. That's no problem. If you're a nidan, I think you should be able to grade up to shodan. I think that's fair. Shodan shouldn't be this massively inflated rank. It's not like I'm going for fourth or fifth. Exactly right, and and you know I, I mentioned that to you in, in in a message to you that it's it's not like you're going for the red and white here. It, it's just shodan. It's shodan is is an advanced student rank. It's it's not any implication of mastery. It's not uh, it's not any of that. It, it's an advanced student. I I say it all the time. I'm a student who teaches so. You know, I, I don't really understand why there is such a, you know, especially in your situation, such a big 
uh, roadblock for you and and for for other adults to possibly get promoted not in only in Australia but in other places so what do you think judo can do in order to get more adults involved or in how do you think the or the judo organizations can be more inviting to adults? This is an excellent question because I actually asked this question on Reddit as well. And the feedback that I got back is exactly what my club is doing, which is actually really, it confirms what I suspected because on any one night, we may have you know between 15 and 30 adults onto, on the mat, yeah? Which is, that's a decent amount of adults, right? In my, in my personal opinion, the thing that seems to keep adults at the club is acknowledging that not everyone wants to be a competitor. Over 90% of people do not want to do Shi'i, right? They just, they're not into it. It's not their thing. And you should have a pathway to keep those people in judo. So my judo club is structured in such a way that we have a really big emphasis on fitness. I don't mean, you know, doing push-ups and sit-ups and stuff, but keeping the energy high. We do we don't we don't do a lot of uchikomi, but we do a lot of nagekomi, which is throwing into into um complete throws. Um, the other big thing that I think that we do right over here is we use crash mats for training adults almost exclusively. Uh, I think 95 to 98% of the time when we do Nagikomi, when we throw, we throw into crash mats. We actually have these special specialty design crash mats that um, they cost 400 bucks a pop. I know the guy who makes them because I bought one for myself. We've got five of those. They're low-line crash mats. They don't get in your way. When you throw onto them, you can do your break fall and it doesn't hurt. And I think that's probably another really big thing for adults. They're so worried about falling and getting hurt that if, if you are teaching Juro in a place that doesn't have sprung floors, which is most of us, right? Most right. of us have to put, put that Especially down. Especially every place I've been, right? Exactly, right? You've got to have some method where you can cater for people that are new to judo so they don't get hurt while they're learning. Because I've been in places where you get thrown onto tatami over concrete and it's as if the tatami's not there, Yeah. right? Which is okay, you know, one, two, five times. But if you're taking... 100 or 200 falls in a night mm-hmm. yeah you put a beginner into that he's not coming back ever agreed so you have to have some method to make judo non-threatening without substantially altering what it is right you can't i don't think it's a good idea to teach beginners just by nagakomi yeah if i'm just teaching part of a throw that person is never going to understand what that throw is meant to feel like they're not going to feel the sweet spot of it so those things are important. I think it's also important to drop some of the formality. Um, I've been in places where you've got to say, yes, sir, no, sir, please, can I go to the toilet? Right? I'm a 40-year-old man. I don't need your permission to go to the toilet. Right? At my club, the only formality that we have at my club, at the end, we kind of stand in a circle, we bow to each other, we clap, and that's it. There's, there's none of this... I don't know whether this is just a Brazilian jiu-jitsu hang-up or what the story is. I've seen people get really hung up on bowing to a picture of Jigoro Kano, which was, it was, never, it was never a big thing for me to bow to Joseki. It's not a problem. But for people who are outside of judo culture, that seems to be like a bit of a hurdle, 
right? So I think if we could reduce some of the formality of judo without substantially altering what judo is, I think you'll get more adults coming in, yeah? Um, so those, those would be my major things. Having a pathway for adults that concentrates on fitness, yeah? And one of the best things you can do for adult fitness is newaza. Mm -hmm. Have a lot of newaza randori. People can go hell for leather and not get hurt. So that's one thing. Um, have, if you can't have sprung floors, have them training on crash mats. You don't want to get people getting hurt. And just don't, don't try and add Japanese to Japanese, for God's sake. I've been to Japan. They're not that formal. Really? I've trained, yeah, they're, they're, I mean, there's certain politeness and certain formality and certain things you don't do, but it, it, in some Western dojos, it's almost a caricature of what you expect Japanese formality to be. Yeah, and that's not what it's like, you know. So, yeah, that, that's my two cents on that. I think we could do a lot better in retaining adults if we provided a good workout for them, if they didn't get hurt, if they spent time doing live stuff like doing the Wazirandori or doing Nagakomi, if we had better flooring or if you used crash mats and if you just concentrated on dropping some of that formality. Yeah, that's my take. Is the JFA good or other judo organizations on Australia good at supporting the grassroots level of judo? I can't tell you. I can't tell you because I'm not involved with their committees and boards. I'm not sure what initiatives they're doing. I can only tell you from the perspective of a judoka out in the grassroots. I've certainly noticed in recent times that they're trying. They're actually trying. They really are. They're bringing coaching experts from Japan to do tours around Australia to try and bring the level up. Um, they're putting on more competitions. There are Carter clinics now happening. There's stuff slowly, slowly, slowly starting to pick up. I think they're trying now, but I think for a long period, there may be a period of 10 to 15 years, things were very, very quiet. And I think we lost a lot of people out of judo because of it. Where do we get people back? I don't know. We'll see. Interesting. Interesting. Now, for you to get promoted to Shodan, I, I know you can't go the competition route, but are there other avenues that you are exploring for you to get the rank that you deserve? <laughs> yes, there are certain loopholes that I've been informed of that I can okay. play upon. My thinking is, if I have to sneak through to get Shodan, what does that say about your grading process? Because I'm, I'm, I've been doing judo for a long time now. I'm not, I'm not entitled to Shodan. Don't get me wrong. That's Understood. not what I'm saying. And that's not what I was suggesting either. Yeah. But there should be a very clear and obvious pathway for me. Now, I've, in my club, it's competitive. There's always been a thing of you earn your rank and you hold your belt. Why should the stuff that I've done fighting at master level not count? That's my 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 take on it now i can i can join executive committees and do this that and the other okay i think for me maybe the pathway would be to go in and do a batsugan somewhere else and then have that recognized as a reciprocal thing um i i, I think i mentioned to you there's a gentleman over in japan that runs a training camp where you will go across you will train three times a day for two weeks and then if he thinks you're ready 
you go off and you do the Batsugan. And if you win three matches, that's it. You're a black belt. It's done, right? Having spoken to my coach, my sensei, um, because we have uh, black belts from other countries, he's, he's said to me, yeah, most of the guys from the other countries, that's how they get their black belt. They do it by Batsugan. They, they, mm -hmm. they fight a lineup of three guys or five guys. That's it. You're done. There's none of this grading panel, going before committees, doing a demonstration over two days. You just go and fight in the grading fight and you're done. Yeah. So I, I think for me, I'm very seriously considering of actually going by that pathway, getting the okay. operation done um, and then just going and doing that. And that's it. I don't honestly, because of the situation, the way it is here, I don't think I'm going to be able to progress beyond Shodan. Because to get points, I have to do things that are not really possible for me to do. I mean, I work. I've got a family. Yeah. <laughs> I've got other stuff going on. I can't spend my weekends going to executive committee or doing refereeing or, you know, piddly little things that give me five or ten points and that I've got to get 150 points. So that's going to take me 10 years to get the points. Now, you stated earlier that you're going to go back to your judo club on Monday. How debilitating is your injury? And are you able to do squats or anything judo related at all? No. <laughs> no. Okay. I can I can I can show some group fighting and I can talk and describe things, but I can't I can't I can't do anything really. Um to wow. give you an idea, I went to the orthopedic surgeon on Thursday. I forgot where I parked my car. It took me forty five minutes to walk two hundred meters to find it. Yeah, oh, wow. so it's 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 pretty incapacitating right now, to be honest with you. Um, in terms of surgery, because there's broken bone and bone bruising, he can't tell how much he needs to go and do. So the surgeon gave me the option. He said to me, "Look, why don't we why don't we do this? I'll put you under. I'll trim the meniscus, and then you'll come out of it. We'll have a discussion, and then we'll see what we do." And I said to him, well, if I'm already unconscious and on the table, why don't you just trim the meniscus and do whatever the hell health it is you need to do? They said, yeah, we could do it like that if, you, if you're comfortable with me doing that. So the process of the surgery, if the cruciate ligament needs to be re-repaired, he would have to take out the, uh, the one that he's put in, take a strand of my hamstring from my other leg because I They've already taken strands out of this leg. They can't take any more out. Um, he's got to redrill new holes through the tibia and the femur, put it all through, tighten it all up. Basically, it's a brand new ACL all over again. So the process of that is probably 12 months before you're actually capable of doing judo properly. Um, probably a month or two on crutches and then all that time for rehab. Sure. Um, right now, because by background, I'm a physiotherapist. That's what I do. Okay. As soon as I did my ACL, I, I suspect that it was the ACL and I thought, okay, I think I know what this is. I know what the rehab protocols for this are. I, I've, I've been fortunate in that I'm actually on annual leave right now. So I've had a month to kind of do my rehab, about an hour a day, um, five days a week, going in the pool and doing various isometric things. And it's becoming better. Um, I think if it was a situation where... I had to be at work, or if I didn't know what I was doing, even worse, uh, I would be much, much more incapacitated. I would be on crutches still at this point. And I'm, thankfully, I can hobble around. I can do you know, 200 meters 
walking slowly without crutches, but still, yeah. That's a, that's, by the way, this is a whole other discussion in terms of when you get injured at judo, what does your national governing body, what is it willing to pay for? Right, right. And I, I, actually, I actually went through and, and looked at what was involved in actually claiming for an injury, and it turns out that there's only very minimal cover for an injury. So, for example, um, there's, there's, there's no real cover if you have to go and get surgery. There's no real cover if you have to go get an MRI. Um, if you're off work, I think they're willing to pay up to, I think it was $250 a week for 51 weeks, um, which is not a tremendous amount of time. If you're an adult and you're earning $250 a week, either you're working part-time or I don't know what. So it's not, it's tricky. The whole thing is quite tricky. And I, I'm not blaming the JFA for having that. Or, I'm really sure. thankful they have it. Um, I've got a teammate right now who's 18 or 19. Uh, he's hurt his hand. He makes his living with his hand, right? So if he, if he needs to claim for physiotherapy or, you know, whatnot, there's a pathway for him to do that. But for older guys, where it's more complicated, where it's, you know, you've blown six things, six things out of your knee, then it right. gets a bit tricky. Now, in your original post, you talked about maybe quitting judo in favor of going to Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Has that feeling changed at all? Or is jiu-jitsu going to be a definite part in your future, even if you get showed on? Yes. Yeah. Um, look, if it was just a question of judo versus Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I would quit judo tomorrow and I'm done. That's it. But it's not. It's a question of my judo club. Yeah, right. where I've spent the last 12 years, where I've sweat and bled with these guys. These, these people are my family. I can't quit on that. So I'm not going to quit my judo club. I think after showdown, I'm just going to stop bothering trying to grade up. And I'm going to look at grading up in Brazilian jiu-jitsu because at least I can see a pathway in that. Yeah. In 10 years' time, maybe I can get a black belt in BJJ. There is a definite sure. clear pathway for me to do that. Whereas within judo, I really think Shodan, if I can get it, is going to be my terminal rank because the grade up, I just, I can't, how do I put this? I'm too old to be competitive with the young guys. And that's all it is. And it's yeah? fair. I can, it's, be, it's fair. I, I can be in the best shape of my life. I can be strong. I can be fit, but I'm not 18 anymore. Right. right. So I just, I can't. Even if you were lifting weights and taking steroids, I don't know if it's legal over there or not to do it, I guess, recreationally. It's certainly not in the United States. But, but even if it was, even if we we're taking all the performance-enhancing supplements that we could, there's just no way at our ages, uh, you know, in early 40s or approaching 40, that we could ever hang with 18-year-olds. It's just it's, – it's just, the the law of nature i, I mean I, I i always like to say that father time is undefeated and there there's just no way to to compete with guys who are just so young you 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 know age simply catches up does i remember not long ago um doing sanagi where you have to actually leap in between their feet and then spring up um, it's it's kind of like the Japanese way. Well, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. I remember first learning that technique maybe 10 years ago and getting really good at it and going, oh, I'm pretty fast. Yeah. And then doing it now, and I felt like I was moving through molasses. Yeah. Something 
something in that intervening period. I'm not physically weaker. My reflexes aren't much slower, but I just don't have that zing anymore. It's gone. So, yeah. yeah. There's an EQ at my club who's like 15, 16 years old. And, and you know, every once in a while, I've, I've done Rondori with him. And it's just, it's really amazing to me to see how much slower I've become over the years. And he seems so lightning fast. And I know in my head, there was a time at one time that I used to be that fast. And, and it that just went away from me right around when I was 33 or so. I, I noticed a drop in my speed and... You know, I'm almost curious to see how my judo and my speed will look like when I'm 50 years old. Because these days I have to rely on gripping, timing, body positioning, all of these little things that I never really had to worry about before, you know. We've got an EQ like that at my club as well. I think he's 21 or 22. Um, he was national champion, I think it's 17 or 18. Um my God, I didn't know people could move that fast. It's incredible. <laughs> and the only thing that I can do with him is just to shut him down with grip. Thankfully, mm -hmm. I'm a bit bigger and stronger. If, if I don't get my grip, if he gets any purchase on me, it's over. I can't, I can't keep up with him. He's so fast. So, yeah. Yeah. I miss that. Do you miss You're that? Right. I, I do. I miss I, that. I do miss it. But I, I like the challenge of being able to find an answer uh, with timing with with certain body positioning with gripping i i love those challenges and that's what that's what it is about judo and i i've touched on this before that i really love that and, and there are there are those challenges in brazilian jiu-jitsu but throwing somebody with perfect timing it it just does it for me and, and those yeah. are those are the type of things those are the highs that i get when i do judo it, it's very it's very rewarding for me. And I, I, I said yeah. this in a podcast a couple of weeks ago that, you know, getting a, a De La Riva guard to a, to a sweep, to a choke, it just, it just doesn't do it to me. It, it, it's, it's pretty cool that I know how to do those type of things, but it, it just tapping somebody out just doesn't do it for me in the same way that that flawless, perfect, perfectly timed throw does. I was, I was telling you uh, before I was down at the jujitsu place today and I stuck around to watch. And I was watching them roll and I thought to myself, my God, this is so slow. <laughs> They're moving so slowly. What is this? Speed up, go faster, yeah. go faster. And look, it's, I love BJJ. I'm, I'm really into it. I love my groundwork. Um, I think actually groundwork is the providence of older judoka. I think... There's a saying, or at least a friend of mine told me there's a saying in judo they, that he said, old judoka could never die, they just go to ground. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think groundwork is something that even, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, you can still be quite competitive with. Um, I was at the Kodakam uh, last year and I saw some amazing things. Um, I, I saw one of the senseis at the Kodakam teaching a blind judoka through an interpreter how to do judo right it was amazing this this other judoka was already um i think would have been at least shodan but he couldn't see so he would the sensei would do the move he would let the other person kind of put their hands on he would explain it to the interpreter and then the interpreter would explain it to this other guy yeah it was amazing to watch so 
Wow. I saw that happening. I saw the reigning world champion sparring with a 64-year-old woman. Yeah, and they really? were just dancing across. Yeah, they were just dancing across the floor. It was beautiful to watch. It's beautiful to see that there are allowances made for that sort of thing, where you have a 64-year-old woman who would have been 50 kilos paired up with this giant brute of a Mongolian guy, and they were just sparring and having fun. In my experience, that is extremely rare on the judo mat to actually have that culture where you can have Randori be Randori, not be a proxy for Shi'ai. Right, right. And I, I, I think that's another thing that drives people out of judo because we use Randori as a proxy for Shi'ai and that is where injuries start to accumulate. So I, I, I agree with you. I, and I think what you just explained to me and, and described seeing at the Kodokan, if I would venture to guess that would have been Kano's vision for judo's growth in the future. And that was, that was more his vision than, as you put it, Rondori being proxy for Shi'ai. And at yep. my age right now, when I do Rondori, I simply don't care anymore. I don't have anything to prove to anybody. I was promoted almost seven years ago. So it's not like I, I, I don't feel any sense of need to defend the belt. If I get thrown... I get thrown and, and that's it. I'm going to continue to work on the things that I need to do to get better. Uh, the, only, the only time, you know, that, that's my feeling on it now because I, cause I, don't, I don't want to be in your position. I don't want to have – because I know if I keep trying to be what I'm not anymore, which is a young man and spinning out of throws and, and you know, move, trying to move up to – you know, some kind of a national ranking or anything that that's not what does it for me in judo. But if I were to continue to, if I were to try and do that, I know I'm going to get hurt. I, I know I'm going to get injured. And I, I've got this body that I got to protect. And, you know, I, I feel that there are ways that I can improve in my judo, even if I'm getting thrown around the mat, you know, 10 times in a five minute round. And I, and I'm okay with that. It took me a long time to be okay with that. But I just, you know, I see people spinning out of throws. And I, I think it's really foolish because people are not, people don't get promoted on Rondori ability. That that's a small yeah. portion of it. So, I so think that, the other issue really is interesting. The other issue is, as an adult, um, look, I don't know what it's like in the U.S. In Australia, you have most of the judoka are kids, and then there's cadets, which is, I guess, what between sixteen and nineteen. Then there's a huge vast gulf and then you'll have some adults come along it tends to happen that the cadets train with the adults so i think maybe some of us get into our head that we're still 19 mm -hmm. and when we when we get it from the 19 year old we think oh well, i'll give it back i think that's where injuries start to happen yes um look one of the, the big things when i train uh, when i teach sorry i i have this process where Okay, I'll teach the static throw, then I'll show you the Uchikami, then we'll do the Nagikami, and then I'm going to show you French Randori, which is, I don't know whether French Randori is a common thing or not, um, but I remember reading about it on Judo Forum maybe 10 or 15 years ago and thinking, yeah, that's a damn good idea. French Randori is when I'm Tori, you're Uke, all that you are doing is defending, and you will have certain ways of defending, so maybe you'll defend by moving or you'll defend by not giving me a grip, or you'll be doing something, but you won't slam me on my head when I come in for a throw, which I've just learned 10 minutes ago. You'll let me succeed. 
Yeah, we'll fight. I'll get to the point where I've got my grip and then you'll let me throw you. I think that's probably the best way to actually learn how to apply stuff from static to Nagakomi to actually Randori going through that process. And I have seen exactly no one in my 15 years use that process to teach. Um, Oddly enough, I actually, uh, I actually, that's how I got taught that my, my instructor, um, his, his daughter was an elite level athlete. I covered this in the last podcast was a, she's a Jason Morris, uh, judo club alumni and same, mm-hmm. same with his son. And that's how they brought me along. And that's how I got better, especially with my timing. And I brought yeah, that idea of, right, right. And I brought that idea of front Trondori just recently with the kids in my club, because one, I think I think some of the kids in my club need to learn how to take their ukemi properly, and two, they need to they need to the the kid throwing needs to be able to do it in a way where they feel like they're not fighting for their life. Yeah, yeah. See, we have we have two problems, right? We've got clubs that just train with uchikomi, which leads to people actually. I fit in, I pick you up, and then I pause, and then I finish the throw. It's this kind of a broken rhythm that doesn't really work. So there's that problem. And then there's the problem of people who train just with Nagekomi, which is they will throw you goddamn hard if they can get you. But in order to get you, it's going to be some kind of a fluke. There's nothing to bridge that space between, I know to throw statically, I know how to throw hard, now I can do it in Randori. And I think French Randori is probably the best way to do that. Yes. So yes. I'm really surprised more people don't train like that. It's just, it, it, there seems to be this thing of, I'll teach you the throw, you get good at the throw, now you can do it in Randori and there's no bridge. So I think that's another thing that, how many times have you read on, on Reddit or Facebook or anywhere else where they say, I've been training for three months, I've been training for six months, I've been training for two years, I just can't throw anyone. Well, of course you can't throw anyone. You know the throw, but you haven't built the reflexes to learn how to throw. So, right, right. And I think I think years ago, um, I mean, we're talking about decades, Kata was the means to teach, to bridge that gap. But since yeah. a lot of clubs don't do kata anymore, I really think French Rondori is the way to go. It's it it worked for me, and and I tell you, what, once I got to this club that I spent the most amount of time at, my judo just took off, and it and it was it was the missing link between learning the techniques and being able to ap- apply them properly in a, in a situation where, you know, both people are trying to throw each other. The front Rondori was, was huge for me. And I, and it's something that I'm bringing to my club and it, it's it, yeah. that type of Rondori. It is the only club I've ever been at that does that. And I don't know if, you know, my judo instructor read that 20 years ago on red martial arts or some other place. Cause because you know he he trained at you know Jason Morris's he trained at Jimmy Pedro's and I I don't know if those guys do that kind of Rondori I, I can't imagine they do given given the high level gotta, athletes that they have there I got to tell you something I think we've inherited a culture of training our adults the way they train their children in Japan so when because when you train in Japan this is a typical training session in Japan right you will spend fifteen minutes doing tumbling warm ups stretching then you will do newaza randori then you will do chikomi and then you will finish with tachiwaza randori for 60 to 90 minutes okay that's how they're taught there's no explicit coaching because 
the coaching happened when they were five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So by the time that we actually see them at that point, they already know their judo. Yeah. And I think there's a tendency to try and transplant that sort of stuff to our adult beginners. And I think that is a it doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work. I would rather say, look, here are some of the grips. Here's this throw. Now we're going to put it in this drill. Now you're going to do with this. Now you're going to do that. And let the person experience some success. Because the most frustrating thing I think for a beginner is going three months, six months, a year, two years, and not throwing anyone in randori. Yeah. There's yes. that huge gap. If you're if you're an adult beginner, let's say you're a guy, you're 25 years old, you rock up at a club. Yeah. Here are your choices. You're going to fight a 12 year old. You're going to fight a 19-year-old or you're going to fight a 50-year-old that's been doing judo for 45 years, okay? If you fight the 12-year-old, that's no fight. Right. If you fight the 19-year-old, he's probably going to hurt you or plaster you all over, the, all over the wall. And the black belt, it's going to seem like voodoo magic to you. And you've got no pathway to actually progress in that. So, And that yeah. is a very common problem in, in uh, judo clubs that I've been at. And I've had people write to me uh, on the po to the podcast email um, or direct message me on Reddit and actually say, I mean, I actually know some of the clubs where, where they've experienced this kind of stuff. And, and it, you know, it, it's through no fault of the, the, the lead, you know, the sensei or anything like that. But that is a very common problem. And it's interesting to me to hear you say some of these things because i know that this isn't just ex an exclusively an american problem it's it, no. it happens in other places and i i would love well, to have somebody from the uk on the show one time to kind of give me their take on judo in the uk and see if there's yeah there's uh consistencies among quote-unquote western countries i think you teach the way you were learned and if your teacher learned by osmosis you will learn by osmosis and then you will try and teach by osmosis I'm lucky that my background is in education, right? Mm -hmm. So I've always been, I, I'm always the slow kid. Like, how do you do that? Or what should I be doing? I always, I always, I swear to God, I bug my poor sensei so much. Like, what are you doing there? How do I do that? Can you show me this? Until I eventually, I, I nitpick these things to death. And now when someone asks me, how do you do this throw? I can explain to you really well how you do this throw. And I think that's how adults learn. Adults don't really learn very well. I mean, they do learn through osmosis, but you will, you will speak to so many more people if you've got a coaching staff of people who learn by osmosis, a coaching staff of people who are analytical, a coaching staff of people who are afraid to do judo. You need to have that broad spectrum to know how to teach. And I, I think what we see most commonly is someone will go and you know, get a, a shodan, a nidan, a godan, whatever the rank is, and I will teach judo the way that I've taught judo. Yeah. So I think that's maybe a problem. Agreed. And, and I think there are some, uh, some former Olympians out there that do a pretty good job in trying to help people who teach. Uh, for instance, I, I know uh, the fighting films, you know, Neil Adams over in the UK. I know over yep. in your part of the world, you got Matt Diacchino. Uh, Matt Diacchino, yeah, he's a great guy. He's, he's great. I know, I know Roddy Ferguson does his thing over here. He's actually pretty local to where I live. He's actually, we probably live about uh, 20 miles apart from each other. I've not, I've never met him, but uh, I know he does a lot for the judo community, but, but, and, and he does, he does work that helps uh, instructors or, or people learn 
how to teach so that he can bring so that those people can teach it to their kids and, and such. I mean, yeah. maybe maybe his focus is more high level. I know he's a full time coach, but but uh, I, I know I know that a lot of that the, the concepts that he teaches and, and Matt and, and same with Neil Adams, they it's still very helpful at, at a grassroots level as well. And I, I think they all three of those gentlemen do a pretty good job. But but there are enough resources out there like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I've posted a few times on that Reddit um, judo forum. So I've got two videos that I'd like to show. One is of Ippon Sainagi and one is of Oseta Gary. And those are videos from a showdown who was going through and doing their uh, coaching accreditation. I think it's through the BJA or the BJC mm -hmm. in the UK. And it shows a really nice coaching, like, uh, like a nice, stepwise process in coaching a beginner from I have no idea what a Soto Gary is to here's how to use a Soto Gary in Shi'ai and it's a really nice stepwise process. Um, I remember talking to that guy a couple of years ago and it used to be that you could do that the first part of that coaching accreditation online and the rest of it you would do through your club um, or you'd, you'd kind of go to where the coaching clinics were. I don't think they do that process anymore, which is a shame because I think that that online coaching module, that was a fantastic thing. I actually poked around it and had a look. Um, we've got something similar here in Australia that I've been through and I've done, which is great. It wasn't judo specific, it was for all sports, but there was also a, a, an in-person component. Um, look, I think if, if you're gonna teach someone judo, it's not enough to know judo, you need to know how to teach. Exactly, yeah? and that's, agreed. that's the bottom line. It's fantastic that Roddy Ferguson is out there. It's fantastic that Matt DeQuino are out there. Jimmy Pedro, all of these guys, thank God they're there. Because some of that stuff, if I, if I had to go to Japan, like they went to Japan and try and learn it, I've got no chance. You know, those guys have gone to places and done things that I would never have a chance. So I'm, I'm really thankful that they've done that stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They, they, they've all, done, they've all um, done a very good job. Uh, with, with their various products and and you know it, it and I think you know what's interesting to me and I, I this is probably going to be my last question for you is being a Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructor lucrative over in Australia and the reason why I ask this is because I know I know Matt and I know uh, Radhi they both are heavily into Brazilian jiu-jitsu as well I know I know uh, Radhi maybe I should call him Dr. Ferguson um, I know he's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I'm not sure about Matt. I'm pretty sure he's up there, at least purple belt level. He's a brown is, belt now. He's a brown belt now. Is that a lucrative path in terms of making making a living uh, as as a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu instructor? Is it the because over in the United States, any judo a lot of judo black belts that I've come across that also do Jiu-Jitsu. I know one guy who's a jiu-jitsu black belt and his school, his club, it's a jiu-jitsu club. And that's how he makes his living. Even though he's a judo black belt first, he went down jiu-jitsu. I'm curious if that's something in your future, if you plan on sticking with jiu-jitsu for the long term, in once you get, you know, if you get a showdown, you know, once you get the showdown, are you going to move to jiu-jitsu to potentially move into a career as a Brazilian mm -hmm. jiu-jitsu instructor with the brown belt or the black belt? 
Okay. So here in Australia, I think we've actually reached the point of saturation with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I don't know how easy it is to make a living anymore. Interesting. I'm sure there are people that I'm sure there are people that can do it. Having said that, there is still a certain gravitas that's associated with being high rank in BJJ. Um, there's a bit of a trend now in Australia to be double black belt. So be black belt in judo and black belt in BJJ. Hmm. I have a running competition with a friend of mine. So we actually set out many, many, many years ago. We said, okay, let's have a competition to see who can get to black belt and judo first. And he got to black belt and judo first. And then it was, oh, who can get to blue belt and BJJ so we can be black and blue? And he got that as well. And now it's like, okay, which one of the two of us can get double black belt? So I think, I think what will happen is the younger generation, the middle-aged guys, but still the younger generation compared to some of the old hands in judo, are now thinking about having less of a, a, a judo dojo and more of a grappling dojo. So I think you'll see more and more commonly now there will be a dojo and the instructor will be credentialed in judo, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and maybe in wrestling. Yeah, I've got a close friend of mine who wants to set up a dojo. He's going to call it Heavenly Dojo. <laughs> His idea is he's going to be a black belt in BJJ, a black belt in judo, and he's going to do some sambo. And all of that is going to be intermixed and offered. And I think that's really fantastic. Agreed. It's a lovely thing to do. And you know what? If I can get there and get that done, I will do it. Yeah, if I can, if I can have double black belt, I think that would be the way to go in terms of actually attracting adults into your club because I think BJJ is still a draw for adults into the club, much more so than judo, honestly. Oh, so, agreed, agreed, uh, completely agreed. So, yeah. Well, Bob, this has been an absolute pleasure. I I truly enjoyed having you on the show and and talking to you and and just hearing your perspective and and hearing your story, uh, just just via this this chat that we're having. And it, I I really appreciate you making the time. I know it's you're it's probably getting close to uh, eleven p.m. over in Perth. So, Very close. Um, yeah. 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 So look, we have it was to an do absolute pleasure. I'd love to. It's an absolute pleasure to talk to you and congratulations on having the world's best and worst judo podcast, <laughs> as you put it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really yeah, great. I, I've, uh, I'm really I've glad doing you, it. Yeah. I'm really glad that you've done that because I think for a long time there wasn't any, there wasn't the, the average man on the street's perspective on judo. And I think you've given that. So that's great. Keep doing I appreciate it. that. I appreciate that because that's that's exactly the perspective that I want to have. And and it would be nice one day to have some high level judo people and stuff. But I, I want I want to talk about the locals. I want to talk about the people like you and I, people who just yeah. aren't looking to make money in judo. They're not they're not looking to be high level competitors. It, it's I think it's important to get the word out, in particular, your story, which I think is very important. That you know, and I'm hoping people around the world can hear your story, and maybe you know they they have a conversation with a buddy of theirs, and they'd be like, "Boy, I heard the story about this guy in the JFA." And I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to become this huge thing, but but to to get an understanding so that there are people, I, I think people like us, if we can talk about judo, have a conversation about some of the problems that judo have, maybe one day the IJF. And some of these organizations can start 
setting their sights on, okay, maybe we need to get more adults involved because right now mm. I don't believe that is the case. But if we, if we start talking about it and with this podcast, I, it's growing. I mean, every week the download numbers are just higher and higher. I, I'm really stunned. I, I, I said in my very first podcast, if I ever had more than 10 people listen to this thing, I'd keep going. So I'm going to keep consider going. It a win. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it. it's a win. I've, I've had, uh, almost 3000 downloads at this point, you're getting pretty close awesome. over, over a three month period. So it's, it, I've been really, really surprised at, at that. And, and again, I, I think it's important to get the word out, get your story out there. And, and that way people know that, Hey, you know, Hey, this guy went through something that I'm going through and I, I want to tell my story and I want to try and, and, and go a different path for showdown. Maybe I can do this. Maybe I can travel somewhere else and, and get showdown. So yeah, I appreciate yeah. you coming on and, and sharing your story. And, and it, it's an important one to tell and people need to know it. Yeah, you're very welcome. I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. And yeah, if you anytime you want to get together again, let me know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you have a good evening and uh, I'll, I'll be sure to talk to you soon. Cool. Have a good one. See ya. All right, take care. Bye. So there you have it, folks. The Judo Chop Suey podcast's first exclusive interview. And, you know, as we talked about, uh, toward the end of that podcast, I would love to have more guests and I will have more guests of the regular judoka that's out there. There's there's plenty of forums for a lot of the top coaches and a lot of the top athletes. They, they have their own forum. They have their own social media presence. Uh, we talked about Dr. Roddy Ferguson. We talked about, about Matt Diacchino. And we, we talked about Neil Adams. You know, they, they have a big presence. I'd love to have them on the program one day. But what's really important to me is to be able to have the regular guy the, the, and talk about judo at a grassroots level. It doesn't always have to be grassroots, but I like to talk about regular people and how they perceive how judo is going in their own communities, in their own clubs, uh, and how they from an outsider's perspective on how high-level judo is is done. Because as a guy behind a microphone, it's just your regular regular shodan that's out there. I like to be able to present a view that that is almost like the common man's view of judo. Just like you hear, if you any of you listen to Sports Talk Radio... A lot of the hosts that are on there, they don't, they they never competed at a high level. Some of them have, but but not all of them. So I want to give that perspective because I think that perspective is a is a fun perspective to have. And and I may not be, you know, this this super coach that that talks in a you know condescending way. Oh, you you stupid idiot! You don't know what you're talking about. You never play at that level. Well, you know what? That's okay. I don't have to play at that level. I never had to play at that level just to be able to talk judo and to give my own impressions and takes on the things that are going on at judo at a high level and how judo is taught and and in this particular interview how promotions are handled at the highest levels and I would love to hear from somebody anybody that's out there if anybody has listens to this podcast that feels Hey, the, the JFA is doing the right thing. This is the right way to go about promotions for adults. And and if you disagree that the your national governing body does uh, does not do a good job on reaching out to adult beginners uh, for judo, if you if you have a different opinion on that, 
feel free to write me. That's judochopsuishow at gmail.com. Feel free to tweet at me at La Vida Judoka. Feel free to reach out to me on Facebook, and you can follow me on Facebook. Just do a search for Judo Chop Sui, and, and my page should come up on that search bar. So if you have a different opinion on these type of things, and you think that you know, uh, Bozo78 is is way out of line or he doesn't really understand how things are supposed to be and why things are a certain way, I would love to bring you on the pro- program or at the very least, read your tweet, read your email, and, and that way we can have a good discussion about these things because from my perspective, from the little man's perspective, it doesn't seem what has happened here and what's going on with the with the JFA is really the proper way especially when you the, the to have to hear that guys are traveling to these world masters tournaments only to find out that all of their traveling and all of their points for their promotions is for naught i mean that needs to they, they need to know that and and that's got to be very frustrating because we're we're a lot of these people are not people who are sponsored by anybody they're paying out of their own funds they're they're potentially leaving their families behind for for you know a few days at a time and only to find oh, to to chase this dream of being a shodan and and being able to to have a career of sorts in judo and to be a coach, well, only to find out that all of their efforts are, are for naught. I, I think that's a problem. If somebody out there does not think that's a problem, I would love to hear from you. So with that, this podcast has gone on long enough. I, I, I'm glad if you made it this far, I'm really grateful. I hope you enjoyed the interview. I hope you have a great week. I hope you stay safe. I hope you train hard. And until next time, I'm out. Open Gangnam Style.